This hour of gameplay is brought to you by FanDuel. Bet on all your favorite teams on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. You're listening to Gameplay with Matthew Cause on TSN 1050. Embrace the odds. I want winners. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Gameplay. Yes, I am indeed your host, Matthew Cause. And we have got a packed show. I've got a couple NBA bets. The NBA's return. There's one parlay I really like, which makes me a little bit nervous. Um, And I I should probably be nervous because I placed three wagers yesterday, and I actually ended up overall winning about three bucks. But let's just not bad. No, let's just start here first, and we'll get into the Canadian women hockey team. Yep. Just kicking the living out of the Americans. <laughs> but we were talking yesterday about the She Believes Cup, Canada wrapping it up, the women's team against Japan. Yes, sir. I said, I want to bet the actual score of 2-1. My producer, Nick McVicker over there, said, no, 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 take 2 nothing. Done. I put down $8.75, ready to win like 98 bucks. And before I got home, <laughs> I got a text from you. Japan has scored, so bye-bye to that uh, that $8.75. That was a, I mean, it was a bad game yep. by Canada, and I know injuries and net and distractions, but th- where were the distractions when Canada beat Brazil 2-0? And oh, the distra- a bad game no against distractions Japan. yesterday. It was just bad, bad play. They, yeah. they didn't show up. Uh, uncharacteristic defensive mistakes from some of the top players. Buchanan giving away a penalty. To put Japan up two nil, like just, just a poor game overall for the Canadians. That was unnecessary. And yes, obviously, when your goalie goes down hurt on the first goal and and can't put weight on her knee, that's going to affect the rest of the game. It's the mental game is is a big factor when it comes to those kind of things. But three nil is is not how I foresaw that game going. So moving ahead, they are scheduled to face off against now the Canada's ranked sixth in the world. We'll see if that changes. Uh, They're scheduled to play France on April 11th during the April FIFA international window. You think Canada will be playing that game? Yes. Do you think there'll be a change in in Soccer Canada in terms of uh, addressing issues when it comes to financing, to getting the same backing and preparation that the men did before Qatar? That is the more pressing question, and I, I don't have an answer for you, Matt. I, I wish I no, had that's an fine. answer. That's fine. I, by the way, I appreciate when someone says, I don't have an answer. I prefer that versus, oh boy, I better just say a cliche, do word salad, talk for 18 seconds, but give <laughs> actual no meatiness. So yeah. I, I'm fine with don't know. I don't have an answer just because what we've seen from Canada soccer in these negotiations with both squads, they're not, they're not in a rush. Mm-hmm. From the, from what it, from what we've gathered over the last year, so could there be an answer? Absolutely, we could have an answer next week. For all I know, but the way it looks, I don't foresee things being changed by April. I see it more realistically being changed by the time the women go to the World Cup. Happy birthday to our very own Jeff O'Neill! It's his birthday. 
birthday today. I didn't realize that. I was looking <laughs> at the lineup. And again, um, I'm going to do a generalization. Yep. Um, men don't remember other men's birthdays. Uh, I Like all the time, my girlfriend's like, wait a minute. It's your best friend's birthday? I'm like, yeah, I guess it is. She's like, well, well what, did you call him? No. I mean, yeah, maybe I'll call later or shoot him a message. Yeah. But it's, uh, and again, every generalization is not based on 100%. It is based on at least 51%. And I certainly know um, more women than men that pay attention to their best friend's birthdays. But That's uh, uh, fair. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Fair. It's uh, Andrew Wiggins' birthday on this day. Patrick Waugh made his NHL debut in 1985. And on this day... Just two years ago, Tiger Woods crashes his car on that really dangerous bend in L.A., yeah. where in the end, I, I think, I, I don't know if they ever released their findings, but it felt like in the end it was uh, going way too fast around too tight of a corner, and that Tiger, this was early in the morning, and had fallen asleep at the wheel. Yeah, I, that's how I, like I that. remember That's it. what I remember, too, yeah. Mm-hmm. The Canadian women's hockey team. And I said yesterday on this show, I was fine with a blowout. I would be okay with a blowout. Yes, you did. I did. And you know what? I stand by that. Now, let me explain. When there is a David versus Goliath, I don't want a blowout. I don't want Goliath grabbing David's slingshot, snapping it in half, and then picking David up and twirling him around like you're doing rope tricks at the uh, rodeo. But when you have two behemoths going battle at one another, and these are the two global number one seeds, Canada versus the United States, a blowout is still fascinating and compelling because you're watching one team dummy another team, and that team is filled with stars. That's compelling. It's like, go back to the Super Bowl when Russell Wilson, like second-year quarterback, uh, Seattle, when they beat Denver with Peyton Manning throwing for a kabillion yards and a 1,000 touchdowns. And Denver loses like 43-8. to eight. It was a weird score. There was a safety. I found that game entirely captivating because no one expected Denver to get blown out. No one expected Peyton Manning to get blown out, and he did. And that's the same way here where, wow, was Canada dominant. That second period, um, I mean, they, they're up one nothing in the first, scoring four goals in the second. Blair Turnbull with two goals. Two thoughts from that game. One, the image of dominance was the final goal by Victoria Bach. It was a nice forehand, backhand goal. But right before it, it was a three-on-none. There was three Canadian women all making a beeline to the American goalie. And at that, I, I remember going, ooh, I kind of feel bad for her. This doesn't look good. That's not good. That's not good. So that was my first image. The second one, uh, so I, feel, I felt bad for the American goalie. The other image, I felt bad for Marie-Philippe Poulin's parents. Marie scores the second goal of the game, number 98 for her career. Congratulations to her. Her scoring, not a shock. And then two seconds later, the camera cuts to her parents, and they are very invested in their nachos. Now, it's not like they were shoving back nachos, but they're sitting there eating nachos. And I'm like, oh. I've just seen it so many times, Maddie. And and that's the point. They're like, wake me up if you do that again in overtime. Wait for overtime. She'll she'll do it again. It's fine. (laughs) Right now, we're, we're focused on hot nachos. So. Yeah, actually, you know what's funny for me? The the image that I remember from that game is the final whistle. Because mm. I don't know if you saw Oh, yeah, Poulin was out. And Poulin she's was like, in the she's box. Like, she's like, I want to go back on the ice. And, you know, the the, 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 the crowd is like, we want to celebrate yeah. with her. She's, she's, she was in the box. I know. She got a penalty at 18.25 of the third yeah. period in a 5 nothing game. So she's getting all excited by I herself guess. in the box because yeah. the, the team's all on the bench. Yeah. 
Yeah. She's just like sitting there, just like, can I, can I go celebrate now? Like, can, can I get on the, please? She had just, that, please. You know, she had that look of that look of the uh, of a seven year old going, wait up, you know, and everyone, wait for me, wait for me. and that's what uh, she was looking like there. Or that, but or that TikTok sound, wait for me, I got little legs. I don't know what any of that. Part <laughs> I know means. it's fine. I'm trying to. Yeah. I'm trying oh, to reach. I do know. I do know. I do know. I do know. It was it was like a girls' um, uh, race outdoor little um, like rec race, uh, um, uh, track and field, not rec race. Track <laughs> Track and field of a track and field event, and and all the girls are running, and she's like near last, and they're like, "Come on, come on!" And she's like, "I have little legs." That was funny. <laughs> that wasn't actually where the sound was from. That's a different one that says no. the same thing. So no. I'll give you credit for that. It does right. say the same thing. I got enough, but not where the sound was coming from. Forty-seven years old. Best you're going to get. All right, let's get to it. Let's get to my opening thought. Time now for Matt's opening thought. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? I mean, it's really nothing more than a self-absorbed monologue, a chance for Matt to rant about something and pretend he's a serious radio personality instead of a gas bag. Let's face it, he stole this idea from Dennis Miller. Now, I don't want to get off on a rant here. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Speaking of track and field, the final sprint of the NBA season for the Raptors starts tonight. And let's hear from uh, Nick Nurse, the head coach, who was on Overdrive yesterday. Here's him talking about the Raptors as buyers. Yeah, I was certainly um, hoping we could add some some quality and add some depth. Um, and positionally, you know, that made sense. Uh, and we didn't really, you know, we'd give up some picks for him. And, and also, you know, a guy that wasn't really in the rotation. So we didn't didn't have to give up anything so it's just a straight addition almost to the team so certainly it was i mean like i'm always like to me there's some critical moments during the year you know the draft free agency trade deadline um you got to improve your team you know at every one of those opportunities and um i, I think we did so that's that's important all right now comes the hard part toronto raptors you got to act like buyers because for most of the season, you looked like sellers. Toronto has the fifth hardest remaining schedule in the NBA. Lots of back-to-backs, lots of games against top four seeds, more games on the road than at home. And to that, I say, good. I'm glad the Raptors have a tough schedule. This has been an underwhelming season for the team. Now, if they do go on a run, let it be one where they look like they belong with the best teams in the association. And they don't just whimper in because teams like Washington and Atlanta fall out of the race as coaches are getting fired. Or, or what about a team like Miami? They get hurt. They're an older team. Or the Nets, if they you know, implode again. Let's see what Toronto does against the top teams. Yeah, they've won five of six going into the All-Star game, but four of those came against Houston, San Antonio, Detroit, and Orlando. Three of those are gunning for Victor Wimbanyama. And uh, they're all bottom five teams. And the other win, hey, came against Memphis. Uh, but a great team that was missing three starters, including Morant. Their record, the Raptors' record against Eastern teams ahead of them, is 9-14. What about the West? 4-9. and nine. And by the way, they haven't faced the number one seed, the number one team in the West the Nuggets, and they're 4-9. and nine. So I'm curious about Sunday, February 26th, back-to-back game against the Cavs in Cleveland. Monday, March 6th in Denver. 
third game of a, ro- of a five-game road trip. Sunday, March 19th, in Milwaukee, back-to-back, playing against, uh, and the other game before that, against a good Timberwolves team. Tuesday, March 28th, at home against Miami. Team they might be fighting with for a playoff position if everything goes right. And they're right at the end of the year. They got two games against Boston. The first one is, yep, it's the second night of a back-to-back. Then two nights later, another game against the Celtics, both in Boston. Let's see how they do against the defense of the Cavs. Let's see how they guard the best player in the NBA in Jokic. Let's see how they do against maybe the second best player or the best player in Giannis. A mature Miami team and a hell of a Boston team. So where where are the Raptors right now? They're in 10th. Half game back of Washington. Really? Of Washington. And just a game back of Atlanta for 8th. And again, the, the Hawks just fired their coach. So what if they finish 10th? What does that mean? That means they got to win two games on the road in the play-in. Let's say they do that. Then they get to face the NBA team with the most wins and the highest scoring differential in the league, the Boston Celtics. These final 23 games, you know what they are? They are a referendum on so much. On a lesser level, on Siakam. Siakam has proven so much. He's proven so much, and, and we've we've wondered about him, but you know, it's still a bit of a referendum. Okay, Siakam, number one guy. Let's see you be a number one guy against number one seeds. OG Ananobi, can he be trusted on the court? And is he more than just a great defender? Fred Van Vliet, small point guard. Can he make shots? You want to opt out for that one last big contract, Fred? Well, you got to show he can finish at the rim and hit those open threes. And to Scotty Barnes... This is a referendum on you, my my young friend. It's a great opportunity. Rewrite the script on your sophomore year. Everyone has watched you. And the same words keep popping up, whether it's on Fox, ESPN, The Athletic, Raptors Republic, Josh Lewenberg. Name your source. Same words. Slump, regression, no jump from his rookie season. Well, last 18 games, Scotty's averaging 18, 8, and 5, shooting 48%. We're going to need to see more of that. The biggest referendum, it's on the most important person in sports in all of Toronto, Masai Ujiri. He went in on this roster knowing there's a great chance Gary Trent Jr. and Fred Van Vliet will walk and the team will get nothing in return. Masai said goodbye to lottery balls, instead choosing a path where the best case scenario is a Game 7 loss in Boston or in Milwaukee. I'm fascinated because we get to see a healthy team. We get to see what the vision of Nick Nurse and Messiah Jerry and and Bobby Webster, what it is. OG Ananobi, Gary Trent Jr., they could both be back for the first time in nearly a month. You can see the Raptors at full strength, something we've rarely seen this year. Hell, you know, Thaddeus Young. And the team, if this all goes to plan, if they're healthy, that bench, Gary Trent Jr., Precious Achua, Thaddeus Young, all coming off the bench. Look how good that is. And after that, it'll be a Malachi Flynn. If the Raptors want to even flirt with a top six seed and avoid the play-in tournament, they're like four and a half games back in the Knicks. There's like three teams in between New York and Toronto. They're going to have to do something incredible, like a 17-6, and 16-7 and seven sort of around their record. That's the ceiling. That's what you got to do to get the sixth seed. You do that, and 
Our feelings on Siakam, OG, Fred Barnes. I said Fred Barnes. Fred Van Vliet, Scotty Barnes. Masai Ujiri, it all changes. And if they can do something even close to that, that'll be even more remarkable because they're not doing it against the bottom feeders. They're doing it against elite. They're doing it on the road. They're doing it back-to-back. And it all starts tonight against the New Orleans Pelicans. I can't wait. And that is my opening thought. I'm finished. The New Orleans Pelicans. Just one thought there. They're an enigma. They're only an enigma because Zion Williamson, his rookie year, played 24 of 72 games. Yep. The next year, he played 61 of 72 games. Yes, sir. Made an all-star team. The year after, he missed the entire season with Jones' fracture in his right foot. And this year, he's missed 29 of 59 games. And I did a lot of Google newsing on Zion Williamson. The only thing he got out there is from 10 days ago, where he suffered a setback in his rehab and will be sidelined for several more weeks. The entire West... Because there's no behemoths this year in the West. No. It all could have swung on the health of Zion Williamson. Yeah, and it's crazy to look at the stats because they only have two guys who have played 50 games on that Pelicans team. Yeah. Or, sorry, started 50 games on that Pelicans team. It's a team that could be so good. They have the potential. <laughs> they have the potential. They, like, I'm going to say this right now. This is not even a hot take. If the Pelicans were a healthy team, they would be, at worst, the number 2 seed in the West. At worst, the number 2 seed. They could be number 1. I was going to go 3, but yeah, they're, they're top 2 or 3 in the, in the conference if they're healthy. It's crazy. And to me, it's, it's 2. At one point, they were flirting right there at the top. Yeah, they were. Um, I, I think... like. You know, Memphis, great start to the year, and they've won a couple before the All Star game, but they hit it. The moment uh, Shannon Sharp went on the court, you know, yeah, the they lost them. five straight, didn't yeah. they? They're better than Sacramento, better than the Clippers, better than the Suns, better than the Mavs. The Pelicans, anyway, would be like a top two or three team, if not for just the fact that Zion Williamson just does not play. All right, on the, uh, on the other side of the show, um, there was the. The NFL Groundhog Day, or the NFL Groundhog, popped his head out from the darkness. Is he committed to football? We'll talk about that next right here on Gameplay. Welcome back, everyone. This is Gameplay. The show is brought to you by FanDuel. Bet on all your favorite teams on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. So, um, we just saw the news that Aaron Rodgers emerged from his darkness retreat. I threw it on Twitter. Um, does anyone know, um, now that he's come out of his darkness retreat, are we going to have six or eight more weeks of winter? And the the weird thing is, is we now live in a time where we much more embrace weird, embrace different, try to be more progressive. And if anything can help with your mental state of mind, we embrace it. This is not 20, 25 years ago, but there's just something about Aaron Rodgers and the darkness retreat that, that it was impossible not to go for low-hanging fruit and make some jokes about it. And wait, there's a slot where he puts food in. Is he there on his own? Are there other people in the dark room? Do you stand on someone else's foot? My God, it must stink in there. What if you're there with other people? You know, someone rips a fart. That's going to be horrible. 
And then you wonder about what's next for him. Because Aaron Rodgers, it, it feels like his priority is, one, just trying to figure out who he is as a person. Fantastic. Uh, two, um, hanging out with a punter that wears a white undershirt all the time and Pat McAfee. And maybe three, uh, what's his commitment to football? And I thought this quote, we'll play this sound from uh, Lewis Riddick from ESPN um, talking about Rodgers. And really the focus here from Riddick is, What's his commitment? Let's think about Patrick Mahomes. Let's think about Josh Allen. Let's think about Joe Burrow. Let's think about Jalen Hurts. Let's just take those four guys. What do they all have in common? One, one, they were all drafted by their organizations. Two, these are guys who are not going on darkness retreats trying to figure out they still want to play football. <laughs> they're not, there's no question that they're invested in their organization and trying to maximize themselves and everyone around them. That's what endears them to their organizations and to their players. The players say, this guy is us. He's for us. He's trying to make us better, and he's doing everything he can possibly can, that he possibly can to make himself better. That's why they love Patrick. That's why they love Joe Burrow. That's why they love Jalen Hurts. That's why the people adore Josh Allen. Aaron's trying to figure out if I want to play. Like, where are my priorities? I'm going to Southern Oregon and, and, excluding, and secluding myself from everyone else because he's trying to figure out what he wants to do for himself right now, mm-hmm. right? And we don't even know if he wants to play for Green Bay. We haven't even heard that. So if he doesn't know if he wants to play for the organization that has paid him an ungodly amount of money and who we just signed a new contract with last year, what makes you think he's going to be that invested with this team that has all these young, impressionable players that is trying to find a way to get over the hump? This is, you know, this is the result of a team that's been burned by their decision making yeah. over and over and over again that they're just going, you know what, just give me the best guy. Yeah. I don't care what he brings to our team from a, from a, from a uh, chemistry standpoint, just give me the best guy. Aaron Rodgers, 39 years old, but maybe you could say a young 39, didn't play much in his first three years as he was backing up Brett Favre. But it's a great point because... You gotta be all in to play this sport. And what's the last couple years been? The moment the Packers drafted Jordan Love, the conversation around Aaron Rodgers, does he want to play? Does he love the game? And the remarkable thing about that, the contrast is, he was back-to-back MVP winners in 2020 and 21, and yet we were wondering, does this man love football? Now last year he had, by his standards, a down year. It was a bad year. A bad year. Part of it, the team, you know, no receivers, all that. Part of it just on him. And if I'm a team, that's what I'm nervous about. You can, you know, if you want to take a chance on a player where you don't have to give them that much money. Hell, you could could take a chance to spend a lot of money on a pass rusher, on a receiver, on a guard. Not on a quarterback. You need all-in buy-in. And with the Jets coming out and talking about how much they love Derek Carr, and they're wooing this man, getting him roses, taking him out to dinner. I don't know how much I believe that, but yes, continue. Well, I mean, it, it's, it's out there, and the Jets I, haven't denied it. I, I know, but the, the Jets fa- haven't like, denied it. The fact that they say they're all in on a quarterback, it's just like, I, 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 until I see them sign the papers, mm-hmm. I just can't believe it. But if they were really into, uh, if the Jets were really into Aaron Rodgers, fair. You're right. They would squash the Diana Rossini, the ESPN piece. They would be saying, yes, we're investigating a lot of different quarterbacks. Right. We And then the whole GM line. We will do any move to make our team better. Yeah. So, <laughs> But, man, with Aaron Rodgers, I'd be nervous. It's weird. 
for the most important position in North America for a guy who could still be incredibly productive, who is a year away from being the MVP. I think a lot of teams are scared. I think a lot of teams, they don't want to deal with this BS. He's like a high-end version of Russell Westbrook. Okay, that's a bit of an insult to Aaron Rodgers. i got to come up with a guy Just who's... a little. Yeah, it's, it's insulting to, to Rodgers. To basically, I know we got to go. The idea being um, a guy as supremely talented as that, and yet teams might still be nervous. Yeah. Our, yeah. On the other side, Jonas Siegel the, from The Athletic is going to join the show. And I want to ask him... We're, we're going to try to have this conversation without doing trade deadline stuff. I want to just ask his mind, what is the most interesting thing about the Maple Leafs? And just what the hell is the role right now with Jake Muzzin? And today is a shameful 20th anniversary in Leafs history. We'll tell you about that next. I do this spiel every now and then, so I apologize for people to listen to the show on a regular basis. But I'm always going to be biased when it comes to the media, when it comes to the press, when I tell everyone out there, go every now and then and buy a newspaper. Don't care which one it is, go buy one. But you're going to want to supplement that and uh, you know check out the different websites. And one of them is The Athletic. The paywall is tiny. The coverage is incredible and comprehensive. I've been a subscriber since day one, and I've been stealing and stealing from so many of the writers, including my next guest, Maple Leafs reporter, covering all things Toronto with The Athletic. It is Jonas Siegel. Jonas, how you doing, my friend? I'm good. I'm just going to record that and then just use it as an advertisement for The Athletic. Is you, that okay? You should, absolutely. And by the way, every time there's one of those, you know, every now and then, like, like any company, you can do a deal or you can sign up for a lower price. I don't do it. I don't even know what I pay. <laughs> I don't even know what. I mean, the day one subscriber, and I think once a year I get a bill. But, uh, yes, I, uh, I, I steal liberally, except from that Myrtle fella. Uh, that man and his puns on Twitter needs work. Um let, let's just start here, because I, I don't want to do, hey, do they need a, uh, you know, a new goalie or, or just with the deadline coming? And I understand it's an important topic of conversation that you know, the team has gone all in. But for you, Jonas, what do you find most interesting about this team? Right now? Right now, today, February 23rd, 2, 32 p.m. I mean, I don't know how it's not what happens at the deadline, no? Like... I mean, we're all gearing up, obviously, for what's going to happen in the playoffs, but you can't really fast-forward that. And we are just under, or I guess just over a week until the deadline, so it's, it has to be what moves are they going to make before the deadline to, I don't know, upgrade the rest of the roster? Like, how can it be anything other than that? No? I th- No, no, I, I think so. I'm just trying to find different ways because we're all, we evolve. I think part of the problem is we know that Toronto's going to take on Tampa. We know that Toronto and Tampa will play in a game seven. So we kind of, <laughs> yeah. we, we know it. Like, like we all know it. I won so much money last year because the most predictable thing was that series last year. So no, no, you are right. The trade deadline is the most, I guess, is the most interesting okay. thing because it's the most unpredictable thing for the Maple Leafs. Okay, well, so I'll give you an exa- an answer for right now. Like, the Ryan O'Reilly thing is really interesting to me. Like, the fourth line situation is really interesting to me. I'm writing about that for tomorrow. But the O'Reilly thing, I, I think it's fascinating. Like, all this time, you know, the talk has been, like, they need a left winger. They need someone to fill out that top six. And obviously, Ryan O'Reilly was, like, it's not a surprise that they traded for him. But he changes that in some ways to, oh, okay, well, he'll just become potentially your second-line center. And the left winger in question will just end up being John Tavares. And, and suddenly, 
the conversation changes. I think the way that they can use that line changes. I just think he creates so many possibilities for them that they didn't have. Like one of the things, even dating back to like the Mike Babcock era that he used to complain about was they just didn't have enough centers and they didn't have enough guys, not just centers, but forwards who could capably actually play center in a pinch. And, and one thing you look at Tampa and even like right now, like today, Tampa just moves around their forwards constantly. Like sometimes Anthony Cerulli plays the wing. Sometimes he plays center. Steven Stamkos has spent a bunch of time on the wing the last few years. He's at center now. You know, Braden Point plays the wing. He plays center. They just have all these different malleable parts. And I think one thing that the Leafs roster lacked before this trade is they just didn't have that. They didn't have flexibility with their forward group, and you could really see that in the playoffs. Like think of some of the situations – these past few years that have cropped up in the playoffs when Matthews and Marner went cold or like the Tavares line wasn't working, there really wasn't much they could do. And now there are things that they can do. So I think watching that play out in this very short window since he's joined the team and since Nolachari's joined the team is interesting to me. And I'm curious to see where it goes and what sticks and what doesn't and the implications that that has. And just to add to that, game one against Montreal in the playoffs where you lost a center in John Tavares. If, yes. that, if that happened now, it would still be, it would be a, a devastating impact, but not as bad as what we saw a couple of years ago. All right, speaking of the fourth line, I, I, didn't, I didn't think I was going to go here because I got some other uh, big picture stuff with you. But um, I, I see for practice, it's uh, Austin Reese, Achari, and Kerfoot. Um, what do you think... What do you think is the most ideal, or just your thoughts, the most ideal fourth line for a team that rarely do we see that level, uh, we see a fourth line making an impact when it counts? I think that's it. I think that's, I mean, whether it's it's Aston Reese, Achari, and Blank, like whether that's Kerfoot, whether that's Yarncroft, whether that's, I don't know, whether that's Engvall, I just think it sets up that they actually have a fourth line that can play in the playoffs, and they really haven't had that. They have not had useful fourth lines playoff after playoff after playoff. And you look again, like everything comes back to Tampa and and you could even look at Boston, Tampa and Boston have fourth lines that that can play. And and it's not like they're going to play a ton, but they can be on the ice. You can trust them. They can shift the game. They can bring you momentum. They can give you physicality. They can score some goals. And that's just been something like you look back to last year, like they started that series against Tampa with Clifford and Simmons oh. um, on the wings <laughs> with Colin Blackwell. And those are two guys who are not in the league anymore. Yeah. And then you think of like, okay, well, they brought in Jason Spezza. Well, Jason Spezza is not in the league anymore. And so they've just not really found any kind of identity with those groups. And like, that's a small part and why they've lost those series, but it's, it's something. And, and if now with Achari, in particular, they have a group that might be able to swing a game, whether it's by scoring a goal, whether it's being physical, whether it's being able just to be a line that, that Sheldon Keith can throw out there in, like for a defensive zone draw just to give his top guys a breath or a break or whatever. I, I think they actually have a fourth line now that can do something. And, yeah, it, it is critical when you think they lose to the Lightning in seven. They lose to the Canadians in seven. They lose to the Blue Jackets in five in a five-game series. Boston in seven. Boston in seven. So when everything is going down to the wire, sometimes it's small improvements uh, on the edges that can actually make a big difference. You're right. The fourth line isn't there to play 19 minutes. 
But if you can swing one period when it's a seven-game series going down to the third period of Game 7, you're absolutely right, Jonas. That that can make a a big deal. All right, one sort of... It it is sort of a trade deadline question, but I'm at least going to disguise it before I get to my bigger picture question. We're joined by Jonas Siegel, Maple Leafs reporter for The Athletic. Can both these statements be true, Jonas? Sandine and Lilligren have been very good, clearly making a leap this year, a great sign for the future, and it allows them to, to help the organization at least for one more year in terms of staying out of salary cap hell. So good on these young defensemen. But on the same point, I don't know if I trust them in a playoff hockey environment. Those things, I think, are true. I think, I, and I'm sure, yeah, like, the playoffs are just different. So it's like we can point to, I can point to all these stats, like defensively they've been fine and blah, 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 and all these things. It's just not the same. Like the playoffs are a totally different environment. And year after year after year after year, we see you need size. And like it just becomes a game of like physicality. And like if you're not that big on D, it's it's really hard to survive. And it's really hard for a team to win round after round after round with a smaller defense. And I, I think we've seen that we've seen that with the Leafs and, and they've, you know, like uh, it's funny. One of the things that never gets talked about with Kyle Dubas is just how he's evolved. Like he's presented as like this one thing. And like, he has evolved in this way oh, yeah. from his early time with the Leafs. Like the way he's built his rosters has changed. And that's one of the things that has changed is they've realized that that's something that they have to have. Like you go back to last year and it's like, well, they get Ilya Labushkin. And then obviously their defense changes and they change who's playing. And like Timothy Lilligren plays those first two games against Tampa and, and gets played off the ice and doesn't play the final five games. They put Justin Hall back in bigger defensemen. And so I think we could get to the playoffs and like, it's conceivable that one of them doesn't play. Both of them don't play. It's obviously going to depend on what they do ahead of the trade deadline, but it's just a reality. And I think it's, it's hard. Like you just almost need to build two different defenses or you need to have a defense that leans bigger just because that's what's going to work in the playoffs. It's, I don't know. Like you want to have skill. Obviously you want to have guys who can move the pocket and skate, but then the playoffs is just like this totally different beast. Yeah, it is. And it's like it in all sports in baseball. You got to be able, you're going to see more grinding down starting pitchers and uh, in basketball, you're not going to use your bench as much. It's just, it just, well, you know, I'm glad you bring up basketball. Basketball is a, another good example. There's certain types of players that, that just don't work in the playoffs. Like we saw that for years yep. with DeMar DeRozan, like that style of game that can work over a long grind, but in a series, that doesn't work as well. Like you see Lou Williams, like the, the sixth man who comes off the bench and scores a bunch doesn't work in the playoffs because defensively teams will just pick on him. The playoffs are just different. And I think that's one of the things ahead of this deadline. When you look at the defense and you look at it right now today, and I just don't know how it's, it's, it's enough. And, and I think like the Muslim news happens yesterday. So it's very topical. He played such a big, difficult role for them. And they, they don't have someone who can do that. Uh, perfectly in the way that he can. Obviously, it's hard. Like, Mark Giordano has had a nice year, but he's 39. Oh, yeah. And and by the way, getting, uh, getting back to basketball, the Atlanta Hawks won 60 games. They got swept by LeBron in the playoffs. Actually, you know what, you, you know what, Jonas? I'm glad you brought up basketball, because whenever I get to see you here, and I always love it when, you, when you're in studio every now and then when you're on overdrive, we talk about all different sports. So I want to throw this out at you, and you can push back. 
Is there another organization in professional sports in North America that has more pressure to win than the Maple Leafs? Now, I'll throw out maybe the L.A. Clippers. They got rid of all those draft picks to get Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. They've never been in the finals. Maybe it's the Buffalo Bills. You know, never, you know, haven't won the Super Bowl with this really talented team. So you might not say number one, but I think you would agree, hard to find organizations that are under more pressure to have a positive playoff run than the Maple Leafs. Yeah, and, like, the Clippers just don't have the fan base. Like, they're uh, yeah. distant, distant, distant. Like, how many teams are more, I don't know, have bigger fan bases in L.A.? Forget the, about just the Lakers, like, just, like, other sports teams. The Dodgers, uh, U, uh, USC football, um, yep. UCLA basketball. Like, you you can go up and down and find the plenty. Kings, maybe, even? Like, the Kings might? Like, I don't know. The Rams? The when they were winning cups. And and now you've got the Rams and the L.A. Chargers. And maybe if Justin Herbert, ah, we can do a Herbert conversation later. But, yes, that's a good point about the Clippers, about the fan base. Well, and, and so Toronto just has just the Leafs are just so popular and just have so many people who care about them. So I think the pressure, like, I know, like, the team feels that pressure. How could they not feel that pressure? How could they not feel the pressure of, I mean, it's not their fault that it's been this long, obviously, without a championship, but that pressure exists. And, and obviously this pressure is built up with this particular group with what's happened in the playoffs. So obviously there's pressure. And I mean, pressure can be a good thing. We've seen, we've seen stories like this be one way and then they just change. Like the Bucks hadn't won a title in forever. Then they just win a title. The Red Sox hadn't won a title in forever. Then they win a title. The Cubs, like the story is only the story until it's not the story. So this could be the year that it changes. Like the team is, is obviously good enough. It could use upgrades obviously ahead of the deadline, but I mean, there's no reason it can't change this year. But, yeah, there is obviously tons of pressure, more than more than the Bills, for sure, as well. Yeah, at least the Bills have been to Super Bowls and have had some playoff success. Speaking of stories, we'll leave with this. Again, joined by Jonas Siegel from The Athletic, covering all things Maple Leafs. And don't forget the podcast he does with James Myrtle as well. Uh, speaking of stories, trade deadline from 20 years ago. Jonas, for people that are younger than me, which is basically everyone here at TSN 1050, uh, can you tell the tale of of uh, Glenn Wesley, Phil Housley, Owen Nolan, and and a very sad Doug Gilmore, and how it led to Pat Quinn being replaced by John Ferguson Jr. Yeah, that didn't work out well. Eh? <laughs> oh, I mean, that was I, mean I mean, the actual GM thing, like that didn't. It didn't. Um, no, I just think that deadline is really interesting because obviously we wrote about this at the Athletic, so it's top of mind for me. But it's like twenty years ago, they went really big at the deadline. They were trying to win a cup. They had a good team, obviously. Uh, and they trade for some really great players. But I think if there's one thing that's instructive about that, it's, it's sometimes you really, really need to be careful when you trade for older players because they tend to not be always the players that you remember and the players that you think. Like, you know, at that point, Doug Gilmore is 39, and they're not expecting him to be old Doug Gilmore. They're just expecting him to play, I don't know, 10, 12 minutes on the third or their fourth line. They trade for Glenn Wesley, who's not that old, but I think he was 30. Um, Phil Housley was like right at the end of his career. Uh, and then Owen Nolan was, was, I think he was 31. And obviously he had been a really great player for a long time and he comes in, it just doesn't work. And so like we can get excited and like, I write about this stuff constantly. I think about this stuff constantly. You can do all these different things and they can just not work for whatever reason, for injury, for luck, for poor performance, they could do nothing else in the trade deadline and it might work. They could do something and it might not work. Like we've 
it's like we obsess over this stuff all the time, but obviously there's only going to be one team that wins. And so that means all these other teams that did crazy stuff at the deadline, it just might be nothing. And obviously that team lost in the first round, as I'm sure you remember. I am uh, I am familiar back then at Off the Record. Hey, Jonas, all the best. Pleasure. Thank you so much for joining the show today. And again, you know, I like to joke around with you, but I do mean it about the work you guys do at The Athletic. It is, uh, if you're a Leafs fan, it is a, uh, it is a must-read and appreciate it as always. Very kind of you. Wait, can I just ask you, Daniel Jones, in or out? Oh, God. Not, not at like, why are you doing this to me? Not at like 40 plus million dollars a year. And yes, I understand he took a big jump this year. The offensive line got better. He still put up decent numbers with zero receivers. Looked great in that playoff game. But if he's getting some like five year, $45 million deal, no, a thousand times no. Ugh. All right. I'm with you. Yeah. Good luck. Uh, why'd you have to? We had a nice talk. <laughs> I had to bring up that. They're going to give Saquon. And if they overpay for a running back and Saquon Barkley, oh my God, I'm going to be miserable. It's so not fair. They, they both played well, but we both know how this ends. We both know how this ends. Two years from now, they're drafting whatever quarterback is coming out of Alabama. Huh. Could be worse. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I could have been a bunk mate with Aaron Rodgers in a dark cave or something. So it's at least you know could be worse. Could have been a Jets fan. Oh my God! Oh, you're right. Hey, there we are. We're into, we're ending it on a positive. You're right. Could have been a Jets fan. Enjoy Derek Carr. Thanks, Jonas. Thanks, buddy. That is Jonas Siegel from the Athletic. Yeah, there are certain buttons you can press that are just always going to get me upset. And just, it's it's not fair. It's not fair to Daniel Jones. But if we're all honest, we know what he is and what he is not. All right, on the other side, why the producers of the NBA on TNT have to be laughing at the producers of the NHL on TNT. I'll explain next. Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $50 million plus two Max Millions. Text Max and your name to 105050 for your chance to win $100 in Lotto Max tickets with Encore. Standard message rates apply to all entries. Lotto Max, dream to the max. So there is a big difference between the NHL on TNT versus the NBA on TNT. Part of that is the NBA version. They've been doing it for decades and decades, and they were able to find just that perfect combination of uh, broadcasters, ex-players, you know, Kenny Smith, Shaq, and of course Charles Barkley with Ernie Johnson as maybe the best ringleader in sports media. It's going to take the NHL years and years and years on TNT to come up with something even close. And it's not a shot on the NHL and TNT panel. ESPN can't do, and they do a ton of NBA coverage. Their coverage isn't as good as TNT's. But I just find it funny listening to, this is the panel, the NHL panel. They're asking Patrick Kane if they, if they if any news. And this could have been a fun little segment. Instead it's this. Interesting and difficult time for you as you make a decision. The whole hockey world is kind of waiting and wondering. Have you made a decision about possibly moving on? And can you break some news for us right here on television? <laughs> Sorry, I got nothing for you. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks. 
All that laughing at the end was fake. The only part that wasn't fake was Patrick Kane's complete disinterest in trying to be even a little bit entertaining, and uh, the, the 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 defeat, the defeated sound, whoever that whoever the host was. <laughs> but it, uh, okay. You, you know that Patrick Kane was thinking like Phil Castle back in the day, right? Yeah. This guy's such an idiot here. <laughs> but, like, at, like, what did you expect him to say? <laughs> I, that. I expected Patrick no, uh, Kane, I mean, yes. like, the person asking the question. They're why, trying. Why would you, you know what? They're why? trying. Why? You, why? Because they're, they see their friends on the NBA on TNT yeah. panel, and when they would ask the NBA player that, a lot of times there'd be a funny answer, there'd be, ah, bleep you, you know, there'd be something. But you gotta know, you gotta know the players, man. That's but, not a Patrick Kane sort of thing to do. Well, okay, then let's use that moment, that okay. moment there. Okay. Let's use that every time we get angry at Gary Bettman. I love making fun of Gary Bettman. Yes, you do. Every time we get mad at Gary Bettman and Bill Daly and NHL, why aren't you doing a better job marketing your players? Why aren't you more like the NBA when it comes to marketing your players? Right. Because that's your players. I'm and your players have point. no desire to be marketed, no desire to be entertaining, no desire to play along with it. I mean, the only thing they really ever do is show up for the B-roll montage of them walking into the arena wearing fancy clothes. That's it. Sometimes. Sometimes fancy clothes. That's it. But but there are players who are willing to. Like who? If Brad Name Marchand. A, okay. <laughs> I wish I had answered. I said, take Brad Marchand out. Okay. Go. Take Brad Marchand out. Yeah. Eric Carlson is a very personable guy. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Have you seen him in interviews? Are you kidding me? I don't see him around that much. That's because he's in San Jose right now. Yeah. Who are the Who are the stars? Who are they? Like, okay. Tonight. Tyler Sagan? Tonight. I said stars. Tonight. He is a star. I said stars. He, the he Edmonton. Star. <laughs> Here are the stars. The Edmonton Oilers are at Pittsburgh. On FanDuel, it's even Steven. Minus 110 for Edmonton, minus 111 for Pittsburgh. And I'm thinking of betting on McDavid. First goal, plus 750. McDavid just to score a goal, minus 134. I know McDavid had been uh, on a bit of a downward slope but uh, the other night. Um, you know, Oilers beat Philly, and uh, McDavid had two goals and assists. So I like McDavid to score, maybe even first goal scorer. You don't get crazy about McDavid to have two goals, a plus 340. Who's the guy on the other side of that? Sidney Crosby. Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid are both incredible players. Um, first ballot Hall of Famers. But they're not interesting. It's nothing against them. I'm sure they're very interesting with friends and family. But they're not interesting in what the NHL would want or what TNT would want. It's just not out there. It's not that nature. And I see that clip of uh, 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 of Kane. He's like, oh, I'm not going to give you anything. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of the sound of the NHL. Now, if you want exciting, that game tonight, Edmonton at Pittsburgh. You know, that game is so good. I don't care what they say before, after, in between periods. But I am thinking of taking McDavid first goal scorer at plus 750. McDavid versus Crosby is incredible incredible theater so just one to consider and you can get those lines on ye old FanDuel account on the other side dave schoenfeld is going to join a senior mlb writer for espn.com and he put out an article looking at who is the single most interesting player on each team not necessarily the best player but the most interesting one so he's gonna have some thoughts on vlad and we'll do that next 
This hour of gameplay is brought to you by FanDuel. Bet on all your favorite teams on the FanDuel Sportsbook app.